welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Excellent. Well, welcome to church, guys. It's great to be here with you this morning. Certainly feel privileged to be able to continue this uh, series, which we started last week, which was called Follow. And last week, we, we kicked it off um, with, a, with a message entitled, Jesus Says. And I started by saying that you know, many, Christian, many people get Christianity around their neck because they make it like a game of Simon Says, you know, called Jesus Says, which is like, you know, if, you, if you do what Jesus says, you're in. If you don't do what Jesus says, you're out. And so they live this life where they think they're in or out of God's favour, depending on how well they think they're doing. And I said, that's, that's totally wrong. That is not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to simply follow him. And we looked at some of the criteria for following Jesus and made a few statements about that. And I would encourage you to go back and, and to listen to the podcast or download it off of iTunes. But essentially, just mention that, you know, four think quick things. The first thing is that you don't need to be a believer to follow Jesus. Sorry, you don't, uh, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, we all are sinners. It's a prerequisite. Okay, so if you're messing up big time in your life, don't worry. That doesn't mean that you are out of the invitation to follow Jesus. The second thing is you don't even need to be a believer because that comes on the journey. The third thing is that Jesus isn't inviting us into religion per se. He's actually inviting us into a relationship with himself and with others. And fourthly, you know, when you follow Jesus, um, the good thing is that you become more aware of, of where you're lacking because you're trying to follow Jesus and become more like Jesus. And it takes our eyes off of others. And so that's, there's some essential truths, I think, that are foundational to this whole concept of following Jesus. What I want to do today is to continue the series, and today's um, part two, if you like, is called Next Steps. Next Steps. And last week when I was speaking, several times I referred to these things called the Gospels, because the Gospels, um, they're, they're the, the, the accounts of Jesus' life, okay? And the New Testament um, starts with four accounts of Jesus' life, the four Gospels, Okay, and so what I want to do today is read a couple of verses or a couple of uh, passages from two of the Gospels, okay, because they tell us different things. They're written to different people with different purposes, essentially saying the same thing, but we can glean things and we need to, we need to um, uh, read between the lines sometimes and put things together in order to get a bigger picture of what Jesus is actually about. And so I want to read to you this morning to start with from the book of Matthew, which was written by a Jew to the Jews. The Jews were, were faith people, essentially. Okay? They had the Old Testament. They had the stories. They had the stories of God working in their history. And for them, you know, like believing in God, that was kind of like second nature. You know, they just grew up with the acceptance of the reality of God. doesn't mean they got it right all the time. But essentially, you know, these people believed that God exists. They believed in the, in the prophecies that had been spoken. They were expecting um, God's chosen one, the Messiah, to come and set them free, etc. And so Matthew is speaking to these guys, and that's reflected in the entire book that he writes. And so I'm going to read to you a couple of verses, or four verses, from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through to 22. And it simply says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately 
they left their father and followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's intimidating, that particular scripture. I don't know if you've heard it before, if you've read it before, but this concept of this person called Jesus, who seemingly they don't know from a bar of soap, who just wanders up, catches these guys in the midst of their working day, says, follow me, and bam, everything is gone, and they're just off following Jesus. And, and, and you know, even for James and Zebedee, they've left, uh, John, they've left their father Zebedee as well. Now, I don't know about you, that, that, that sounds a little bit frightening, but probably even more than frightening, it sounds a little bit crazy, a little bit irresponsible, a little bit worrying, really, if you are a person here today who's contemplating the prospect of following Jesus, becoming a Christian. You might be thinking, well, that, that's a little bit much for me to take. I, I, look, he seems nice and you're nice people and everything, but I don't really know that I can do that. You know, can you relate to that? Maybe you've actually thought that yourselves. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you've read the Bible, you get to that bink, think, oh, ouch. I'm not, I don't even think I'm doing that now. And so we can be intimidated if we just, if we just skim over something that, that really is just a snapshot. It doesn't give us the whole picture there. And so what we can do, fortunately, because there's more than one gospel, we can go back and we can compare scripture to scripture. And you know, there's another writer of the gospels called Luke. And Luke was a different um, kettle of fish to Matthew. He wasn't a Jew. Okay? He, he was, I think he had a, more of a Greek background. He was a doctor. And he um, accompanied Paul, who was a, a famous apostle and wrote much of the New Testament. And Paul was a facts man. And so he writes to the people that weren't people of faith, the Jews. He writes to the Gentiles. Okay? People like you and me, for the most part, who, who we like to know what we're getting ourselves in for. You know, we want a bit more information, please, before we sign on the dotted line. Okay, so Luke, he starts his gospel like that. He said, look, I've carefully um, investigated all the facts and, you know, I've, I've put these things together so that you can believe. Okay, and so we see that coming through in his writing. And so, you know, if you were stressing out about, you know, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I thought I was going to finish year 12. I thought I was going to get married. I thought I was going to career. And suddenly Jesus is saying, leave it all behind and follow me. Don't stress, okay? We're going to look at what Luke has to say because that's not the whole story. All right, so Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 11. Just going to go through that and unpack it a little bit as we go. So verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, now, again, this is Luke's fact, factual self coming through because everyone else called it the Sea of Galilee, but Luke says, no, no, it's a lake. <laughs> because it actually is a lake, technically speaking. It's about 20-odd kilometres long, about 13 k's wide. It's fairly large. It's a couple of hundred um, uh, metres below sea level. It's a freshwater lake, essentially, but it was big enough that you could call it a sea. Okay, so Matthew calls it the Sea of Galilee. Um, Luke calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same place, all right? It's the same place that Jesus did many of his, um, much of his ministry, many of his miracles happened around this particular part of the world. All right, so Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, and the people, uh, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Jesus was just was preaching. Okay, and you know, following Jesus always begins with information. It begins with having our questions answered. It begins with just, I guess, just listening. And you know, that's part of what we're doing here this morning. We're just listening. You know, if someone ever says to you, just believe something because I've told you, that's not Christianity. Okay, that's, that's, that's the sort of thing that cults and sects get up to. Okay, they just expect people to do what they say without any, any 
um, corroborating evidence, without any proof, without anything that substantiates their claims. And people get themselves into trouble when they just launch out into following people where there's no real credibility there. And so I want to encourage you that our faith, the Christian faith, is built on content, it's built on facts, it's built on substance. And you can investigate those things for yourself. I'm not going to go into all of that this morning, um, but I would encourage any person that's got questions about Jesus to do some of your own research. Find out what you need to find. All right, so verse 2. He, that's Jesus, um, saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Remember, it seemed like before these guys were on the shore, Jesus was walking past, but we realised that Jesus was actually standing around. He was teaching people. And the fishermen were there on the side washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So at some point here, Jesus, I can imagine, you know, Jesus is just sharing and perhaps there's a small crowd to start with and as he's talking more and more, people are getting intrigued and a crowd begets a crowd. And, and so imagine Jesus sort of standing on the shore of Galilee and as people begin to press in, the breath gets a little bit thick, you know, he sort of takes a step back and, and people keep pressing in. So he takes another, and suddenly he's probably just about to step in the water. So he's, hang on a minute, this, this isn't working. So, ah, boat, gets a boat, jumps in Peter's boat. He, in all likelihood, knows Peter at this point. You know, if we read in John, it's a slightly different account of, of Peter encountering John. So there's a good chance that this relationship has been established to some degree. And so he says, Peter, can you just put out a little bit so I can address this crowd without getting crushed, without having to deal with their bad breath and all that sort of stuff, without getting my toes trodden on, and I'll get a bit of space, and hopefully, it's a nice calm day, hopefully they'll be able to actually hear me a little bit better as well because I'll be out on the water. Okay, so that's what um, Jesus does, and Peter, um, quite happy to do that, complies. He was obviously just one of the crowd there at that particular time. He was in the place where Jesus was, not necessarily just because Jesus was there, but because he was a fisherman and he was mending his nets or cleaning his nets after a night out fishing. All right, so when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon and Peter, the same person, uh, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. At this point, having shared the message, having spoken to the people, having said all he needs to say for that particular day, he says to Simon, okay, I want you to do something now that you're pretty familiar with, but I want you to do it in a different way than you would normally do it. And Simon answered, and I'm not sure if the Greek here really would, is better interpreted, whined, uh, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. You can just imagine Peter at this particular point in time, like he's, they've worked, they fished at night, he's been out all night, he's cleaned the nets, he's thinking, I'll go home, I'll put my feet up, I'll have a sleep, <coughs> have some dinner and then get out and go and do it again. And now Jesus is saying, here you are Peter, you've been up all night, you've cleaned your nets and you want to get home for sleep, going to go home, have a sleep, whatever, and now I'm saying, let's go fishing again, in the daytime, for goodness sake. Now if you're a fisherman... Maybe you've had some luck during the day, but most, most people I know who really know they're fishing generally go at night. I mean, we used to have a neighbour over the road. He didn't fish very much. We used to fish quite a lot, probably compared to them. We used to catch nothing. He knew his fishing, and he would go down to Port Adelaide at, on certain times of the year, at certain, and it was always overnight, and he would come back with a bootload of fish so back in the day. And so he knew something that I didn't know about fishing, and often, you know, the fish often seem to be uh, easier to catch 
more abundant at night for some reason. This was certainly the case in the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. I don't know if you've ever been down to uh, Semaphore at night, for example. All right, I, I like fishing, I like going crabbing and all that sort of stuff. But you know, you walk around Semaphore, you just stand on the jetty and you don't really see too much. You might see the odd little fish floating around, but certainly you don't see too much. You go there at night, take a torch and stand in the water. The place is teeming. It is alive with fish. In the, in the day, the fish wouldn't be caught dead there because they would be easy pickings for the birds. Um, you know, they, they would just be vulnerable. But at night, they come in. And so Peter, is, Peter knows this. He's going, Jesus, what are you on about? There's no fish out there now. And well, they are out there, we know, but they're probably in the deep water. They're probably keeping a low profile. They're certainly, you know, we've been out all night. It seems like for whatever reason, they didn't have a good season last season. There's not many fish around. <sighs> Jesus, you're a carpenter. You're telling me a fisherman how to fish. <laughs> and we've cleaned the nets. And we've cleaned the nets. I mean, you think about the thing that you do. You know, you go four-wheel driving, you've been out, you're having an awesome time, you've been, your car's covered in mud, you get home, you hose it all down, your mate rocks up goes, want to go four-wheel driving? Uh, <laughs> That's what was happening here. The timing wasn't good for Peter. But I love the fact that Jesus is involving or leading Peter into faith. He's not asking to do something ridiculous, something that's crazy, something he can't even conceive of. He's in familiar territory. He's just asking to do something he's always done, something he knows, but just something with a little bit of a different twist on it. He wants it to do his way. Peter, I'm not asking you to leave your family at this point. I'm not asking you to leave your job. I'm saying, let's just go fishing. It's just a little bit different than what you would normally do, that's all. Can you muster up the faith for that? And, you know, Peter, like I said, wrestling with his tiredness, wrestling with his pride, wrestling with all these sorts of things, comes up with that brilliant answer. Having considered all, he says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Peter concedes to Jesus, not because he had massive faith, not because he could see a school of fish coming past. I mean, some people, when they read the Bible, some people would have you believe that this is no miracle, you know, Jesus just happened to see, because he was in the boat, he just happened to see, he had good, good eyesight, saw a school of fish coming, he thought, guys, get out there now, you'll catch those fish. And they try and, you know, um, rob this story of a miracle. Now again, you can do that if you like, but it makes no sense when you go on to see the way Peter responded later on. If it was just Jesus happening to see a school of fish that anyone else could have seen on that particular day. All right, so Peter does what Jesus asked him to do, probably in all likelihood, just because he didn't want to be rude. He knew Jesus enough. He didn't recognise him as the Messiah. He didn't know that he could heal the sick and raise the dead. Doesn't seem that any of those things had happened yet. He just thought this Jesus, what he says seems to make sense. He's a good enough bloke. I don't want to offend him. I'll take him fishing. Maybe you're in that spot right now. You know, maybe you're at church. You don't really get the whole Jesus thing. These people are nice enough. <laughs> what he says seems to make sense. I'll give it a bit more of a listen. <laughs> So, Peter had no idea at that point what hung in the balance. He had no idea that his whole future really was hanging in the balance at this particular point, hinging on this particular response. All that we know about Peter today, you know, how many churches across the world, how many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of churches across the world today are named St. Peter? You know, think of St. Peter's Basilica. Think about St. Peter's here in Adelaide. You know, Peter is a household name because 
of that, Lord, nonetheless, because you say so, I'll put down the nets. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. And so verse six, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Interestingly, not when Peter had discussed it with his mates, not when they'd had a prayer meeting, not when they'd thought about it a bit more, not when they'd had great faith that it could happen, but when they actually just did what Jesus said, the miracle broke out. So when they had done something, they experienced a miracle. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. So you've probably got 30 guys here in these couple of boats. Just like, whoa, we have never seen this before. I don't know about you, but that response of Peter's, you think, you know, do the little excitement jig. Oh, look at these fish. That's not what Peter did. You think just verbalising his appreciation, thank you, Jesus, so much. No, that's not what Peter did. You can imagine him saying, Jesus, with my boat and your fish whispering abilities, we could have an awesome business. Sort of like Bubba Gump, but different. <laughs> I don't know, you probably come up with a good name there. <laughs> Just thought of that off the top of my head. Um, but you can imagine that that would be a normal response, particularly, for, you know, the Jews are fairly canny. They've, they've got a bit of business acumen. They're known for that. And so that would be a fitting response for Peter. Yeah. But he goes, Lord, away from me. I'm a sinful man. He's broken. He's undone by the revelation of who Jesus is that came as a result of his obedience. In that moment, Jesus went from being a man, master, a term of respect, like sir, to being Lord. Peter knew that this was not just some guy happened to spot a school of fish coming, seeing a bit of rippling in the water. Peter knew this was something far bigger than that. Fish was what he knew. Fish was his business. Jesus came into what he knew. Jesus didn't ask him to do some crazy thing he didn't understand. I mean, you know, Peter had been listening to Jesus preach, and that was cool. He's probably thinking, yeah, Jesus, all this Dr. Phil sort of stuff, that's great. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the real world. I'm, I'm fishing. I'm, I'm earning a living. I'm feeding people. I'm putting food in people's bellies. You know, and just, you're teaching people how to do relationships. I mean, that's cool. But, you know, my wife does what I tell her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, Jesus meets Peter where Peter's at, breaks into his world, blows his mind with an undeniable miracle that shows that Jesus is not just the Lord of counselling, but he is the Lord of fishing. And as they go, you know, because this whole thing's a journey, but as they go, he learns that Jesus has power over, miracle, uh, over sickness. He has power over demons. He has power over death. And, and so it's a journey. You know, Peter didn't come... Step into that boat believing all these things. He believed none of those things. But by the time it had finished, he understood that Jesus had some power to command some of the 
elements of nature and create this catch when it shouldn't have happened. And so the, re the revelation of who Jesus was and of who he was, because again, suddenly he thought, whoa, this is Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm in the presence of greatness and that presence of greatness is showing up my blackness. Had a revelation of himself at the same time. Jesus said to Simon, verse, uh, was it 10? The second part of verse 10, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Jesus begins to reveal his will for Peter's life. And so they pulled up their boats on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. Now again, even that seems pretty, pretty explicit. They left everything and followed him. And it seems like they left everything and followed him. And if you only read that particular verse, you think, oh, they left everything and followed him. In other words, they never fished again. They never saw their wives and their kids again. They left everything and just followed Jesus. But again, if we read Scripture and, and compare it to it, we just see that, no, this was another day. And they, at that particular moment, they made a decision to follow Jesus. They didn't know where it was going to lead. We see that they did go fishing again. We see that Peter later on in ministry had his wife with him. So it wasn't a call to leave wife and children and business and everything else and do some crazy thing in Jesus' name. No, it was just follow Jesus. He, he, I probably, you know, following him that day might have been coming back down to the same place, doing a very similar thing. But he certainly, over the next little while, as the relationship grew, Peter and Andrew and James and John and some others just began to follow Jesus around the countryside and became witnesses of what he did. And in the process, their faith grew. In the process, their revelation continued to grow. Their understanding continued to grow. Their, their, their picture of who Jesus was continued to grow, as, as did their picture of themselves. Okay, so we've just gone through that scripture. I just want to highlight a few points that are pertinent to where we're at now. We've talked about Peter. But let's look at how this follows us or affects us. We look at four stages of following Jesus. We'll all be at one of these stages. And it's probably worth saying right up the front that these stages, it's not like you, you go through this once and you're done. This is, a, this is like a process that will continue over and over and over again. There'll be these cycles in your life that will take you, as I said before, from one degree of revelation and understanding who Jesus is to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. All right, so the first stage of following Jesus is simply, as we mentioned before, the listening stage. Verse five, uh, chapter five, verse one. There were people just gathered listening. Not necessarily the great level of expectation, but they just they were listening, trying to work out who is this guy, what's he on about, what he seems to be saying seems to be making sense. Maybe I'll come back tomorrow and see what else he's got to say. Everyone starts there. We all started there, and some of you are probably possibly at that very beginning stage right now. You're just here, you're listening to the preacher. Maybe you've had a few conversations with a few mates. Uh, maybe you've been to the cafe and talked to some people during the day. But you're just at that listening stage. You're trying to weigh things up, trying to gather a bit of information to know if it's worth proceeding or not. And that's a great position to be in. And I just want to encourage you to put yourself in that position, ongoingly, to be in the place where you're going to hear God's word, Jesus' voice. His opinion, his will for your life. So what's the next step for you if you're at that stage? If you're at the listening stage, well, come back next week. Come back next week. Some of you have already done that because I said, encouraged you that last week, didn't I? And so some of you are maybe back this week because you were asked to come back last week. That you're taking this first step. That's awesome. Maybe, maybe you've got one of these rabid Christian family members or friends that has been a, trying to shove books down your throat. 
And maybe, maybe you've got a book on your shelf somewhere. You know, maybe it's one of those books that tries to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Why not read it? That can be your next step. Why not next time you're at the cafe or down the pub or at work with that Christian friend, why not just ask a few questions? It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to inconvenience you in any way, shape or form, but just get a bit more information. It might encourage you to take the next step. And so the next step, beyond that, just that listening stage, the next step is the involvement stage. This is where Jesus comes to Peter and says, can I borrow your boat? Can I borrow your boat? And so this next step often actually happens as a response to a question or a request to help out a little bit. You know, you may not be a believer yet. And again, we need to be real about where Peter was at. He wasn't, I wouldn't say he was a believer at that particular point in time. I think he had a relationship with Jesus at some degree, seemingly from John chapter 1. But he didn't understand all that he ultimately came to understand about Jesus. He was just helping out a friend because Jesus asked him to. And so... Just understand that for maybe for you, the next step for you is just getting involved. It won't cost you a lot. It might be a little bit inconvenient. It's not going to require necessarily great faith. We're not asking you to believe a whole bunch of things about Jesus at this particular point in time. We're saying, well, why don't you just press in a little bit closer? Why don't you just do something that costs you a little bit? Not too much, but just a little bit. Just put a little bit of effort into this whole journey and just see where it takes you next. It's about getting engaged in the process of discovering who Jesus is. So the next step for you, it could be something like just someone says this weekend, we've got Kid Go coming up. Man, it is crazy. We're going to have kids running everywhere. Few people are sick at the last minute. What do we do? We need someone to make sandwiches. And they go, can you make sandwiches? And you go, well, well I'm not a Christian. <laughs> Don't ask me, I haven't got enough faith to make sandwiches. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But maybe just saying yes, that's the next step. Just getting involved. You start to rub shoulders with a few people. You, you, you're saying something about, I don't get it all, but I have enough respect for this place and for what's going on here and for the people and their lives. And you know, what I've seen is encouraging enough to say, well, I, I can land a hand because I think other people would benefit from being here as well. It could be maybe just picking up someone for youth or for church. You know, oh, you live next near so-and-so. Oh, yeah, but I'm not even a Christian. I don't have enough faith to know they'll get up at that time of morning. Whatever, drive past, knock on the door, see if they're there. Get involved. Just give a little of yourself. And as you do, I don't know, I have a sneaking suspicion that when we do something, that we, when we begin to just go from the place of just happening to be in the right place at the right time, coincidentally, by the sovereignty and providence and will of God, um, you know, when we begin to take that step for ourselves, when we begin to put a little bit of energy into this thing, I think something happens in heaven yeah. that God goes, oh, I saw that. And it begins to set things in motion that ultimately will lead to that place where you have the faith, you have the revelation, etc., etc. Maybe it's time just in your busy schedule, and many people are busy today, you know, and the trouble is I talk to people, they come to church, and they're all excited about what happens on Sunday. And then you tell them about some of the things we've got in the week to actually help them. We've got a foundations course. It would be awesome for someone like you because we deliberately set out to try and answer some of the questions that you probably have. And they go, when do you do that? Oh, Thursday night I've got indoor soccer. Or we could try and do it on Wednesday. Oh, no, so I've got my, got my kids that night. Um, what about... What? And, and people's lives are busy, I get that. 
But this next step possibly is like, yeah, I am busy, but I'm going to make some time. I'm going to crack open a little bit of room to go further, to invest in this thing. Maybe I'm going to start reading my Bible in the midst of my busy day. Maybe I am going to try and see if there's another night when I can play indoor soccer, if I can have a talk to my ex about when I can get the kids or whatever it might be. But it's about just that little bit of effort, that little bit of inconvenience that just takes us on to the next step. Seemingly small steps, I think, make way for the God encounter, which happens as a result of the next step. And the next step, after listening, after just getting involved a little bit more, investing something, is the obedience stage. Luke chapter 5, verse 5, where this is where Peter said, you know, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. That's where maybe you've got this urging inside that won't go away. You're not sure where it comes from, but it's kind of like you really need to do this. You really need to stop that. You really need to start. And it's just like this voice. It's like, that's not me. I'm not that concerned about doing the right thing. But there's this voice inside that just won't go away. And it's the voice of God breaking into your life. It's Jesus saying, I want you to do this. I want you to just spoke to Peter on that day. Again, it won't be something ridiculous. In all likelihood, it will involve something that you're very, very familiar with. Perhaps it's relationships. Perhaps it's work. Perhaps it's finances. It's something you're familiar with, but it's just got a little different twist on it. It's like left to your own devices, you'd do relations this, relationships this way, or you'd do business this way, or you'd order your finances this way, but suddenly there's this left-to-field thought that comes in. Have you thought about just ignoring what all your friends are saying at the moment and actually staying in this marriage? Have you thought about, rather than fighting, submitting? Wow, no, I hadn't thought about that, but I am now, Why? Maybe it's the voice of God, Jesus coming to you, saying, will you do this? Telling you the way to take. He's putting the challenge out there for a faith response, for an obedient response. Maybe you're not married. Maybe it's stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it's like, you know that's not going to happen. Break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it's got to do with work. Maybe it's just like, you know, you, you know how things work. You know physics. You've done engineering. You know, and and this, this random idea says, why don't you try it this way? And who knows what's on the other side of that? Because many inventions have happened that way. Yeah. Maybe it's like, invite your boss to church. No, I wouldn't do that. Why would I do that? It's like, I, didn't even, I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, the guy is a rank pagan. He's an atheist. He pays me out about church. Why would I invite him to church? But nonetheless, Lord, because I think you're telling me to do that, I'll give it a go. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you've heard about tithing and you've read all the books about why you shouldn't tithe and you feel really good about that and you've got a whole bunch of friends that don't tithe. But deep down inside, there's this voice that keeps saying, why don't you start to tithe? Why don't you give that person 
who there's, there's no outward reason as to why they would need your money, but why don't you just offer them some money right now? You know, this is, often these things happen. You know what I'm talking about? Those voices that seem to come out of nowhere? You think, well, that's not me. It's not totally crazy, but it's not me. The challenge for us is to take the next step, which is not just to listen and hear, but to obey. You might be scared. You might be tired. You might be sceptical. You might be embarrassed. You might be worried about your reputation. You might be all of those things. But maybe we know Jesus enough, we have enough respect for him, that we know that he, he loves us, he cares for us, he has our best interests at heart. We, we got that bit? Okay. Because you say so, Lord. It's not what I would normally do, but because you say so. And you know the amazing thing is, that in that moment of faith-inspired action, we have a revelation. When we say yes to a supernatural command, I believe we're always going to get a supernatural result. It might not necessarily be the supernatural result you're thinking or hoping for, but there will be. There's a connection, supernaturally. And we can expect a supernatural result as a result of saying yes to a supernatural command. We are going to discover something more of who God is when we say yes to him. We're going to discover something more about who we are when we say yes to him. You know, um, I've mentioned this a few times from the pulpit, but it's worth sharing. I remember just at the start of this year, Hannah, our 14-year-old daughter, when she'd been very, very sick for, for six months. And the Influence Conference was on here at the church. She hadn't slept literally through the night for, for six months. was in excruciating pain. But God was saying to her, you need to be at this conference. So it happened, I think it was a Friday night and a Saturday the Friday night, she had the worst night she'd ever had in terms of pain, in terms of lack of sleep, in terms of everything. And again, she could have found allies in us if she'd wanted to. Oh, mum and dad, you, you understand? We're really, I'm really sick. I, I'm just going to, you know, can you... You know, we wouldn't have held it against her if she wanted to stay at home that day. You know, maybe we would have encouraged her to think about it, whatever. But, but she sensed that Jesus was saying, you need to be at this conference irrespective of the fact you've had no sleep, irrespective of your pain levels, etc., etc., you need to be there. And the fact is, she was obedient, and that night she had an encounter with God. For those of you that know the story, she was prayed for by a group of friends after the conference it was sort of winding up, and immediately she said she felt like a warmth inside her, her, her stomach where all the action was, and the pain was coming from, and she hasn't experienced it since. She had an encounter, she had a revelation of Jesus. She discovered Jesus at that moment to be a God who heals, a God who loves her, a God who, hears her, uh, who, who cares about her, a God who's in the midst of running this entire world has, has enough of a bead on her to know where she's at. Her revelation of God increased. Amen. It's awesome. Why? Because she went from hearing to obedience. She didn't pray about it. She didn't have a meeting about it. She didn't call us in and discuss it with us. She didn't just continue to think about it. She just did something and got along. We don't know what hangs in the balance whenever God calls us to seemingly little acts of obedience. In the bigger scheme of things, one church meeting, what does it matter if you miss it? Well, it would have mattered a lot to Hannah if she'd have missed that particular night. And again, we're talking about when, you, when, you, when God's on your case about something. 
I'm not talking about control and manipulation and being. I'm just talking about like, there, are, there are times, there are places, things in your life right now, for many of you, I'm sure, where you know what God is saying already. And the key is not to allow yourself to be talked out of it, not to talk yourself out of it, not to think about it too much or pray about it too much. Just do it. See what's on the other side. Tone mentioned before I got up here about our time of praying together. I mean, that was like such an insignificant decision on the surface of it. It's like I had an inkling that I think God wants me to pray. And similarly, Tone, and we both had mentioned something about, to Dad about it, and Dad said, well, Tone's mentioned something similar, and why don't you guys get together and pray? So we thought, okay. We just acted on what we felt God was saying, which was just to get together and pray. It wasn't, there was no, like, like, the heavens didn't part. It wasn't like a beam of light came down, trumpets started blaring, well done, good and faithful servant. It's like, it's like five o'clock, oh man, Tony will be here soon. Better get out of bed. Just did it. But what hung in the balance, what, what hinged on that obedience was this, this church. The lives that have been impacted by this, the people that have been saved since, the many, many marriages that have been touched and blessed and there's just so, and this is really just the beginning. We, we sense it's just the beginning. We're not thinking, oh, 20 years, awesome. That's, that's, that's that. No, this is just the beginning of whatever God wants to do from here until he comes back. But in all seriousness, it hinges on that one decision. Will you just get together and pray? I hate to think about what could have happened if we had ignored that voice. Because there were plenty of other things to do. I mean, we were young and had plenty of interests in life. And plenty of mates would have taken us out to do other exciting things. And, you know, we could say, well, we, you know, we were hardworking, we need our sleep. All the, decisions, all the excuses are there. But at the end of the day, I thank God that having heard, we just obeyed. It doesn't make us heroes. It's just, it just makes obedient. And the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Like I said, a supernatural response to a supernatural, a supernatural request gets a supernatural response. Don't focus on the cost. How am I going to break this relationship? What if the person says no and I become the butt of all their jokes at work? What if I confess to having stolen that stuff from work? What if I give my money at church or somewhere else? Don't allow all the what-ifs to get in the way of just doing what you feel what God is saying to you. Just do it. Just do it. You will not be better, worse off when you do what Jesus is telling you to do. You will not. You will not. God loves you. He has your best interests at heart. He knows the beginning from the end and he only is calling you into anything that is an opportunity to increase your understanding of who he is and to grow in the knowledge of who you are that you can move forward in this life. So that's the third stage, the obedience stage. The fourth stage, just simply call in the follow stage. Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled up their nets, they left everything and followed him. So what this is moved, this is, this is really just the move from that bit of obedience and the revelation of who Jesus is. This is the priority move. This is where we say, Jesus, don't have all the answers, but I know enough now to know that I've got nowhere else to go. 
You are going to be my priority. I am committing my life to serving you, whatever that looks like. I know it's not going to all be a bed of roses, but I just know that from what I've heard, from what I've seen, I'm undone. I can't go back to trying to be an atheist. I can't go back into my old lifestyle. I can't go to the pub and pretend that my mates have got all the answers. I know they don't. But when I listen to you, Lord, and so you make that decision, you cross over. And rather than just being one of many viable options, Jesus becomes the only viable option. It's kind of like we talked relationally last week. It's kind of like going when you go from, you know, there's a whole bunch of wonderful girls in your life or guys, and you realise, no, there's one for me. And you make that decision to follow and remain faithful to that one person. That's what Jesus is calling us to, ultimately. If we take that next step, we will come to the conclusion, I believe, or we realise it is the best and the sanest possible thing that we could do. We're not being called into something ridiculous, something stupid, something crazy, something irrational. The further we follow Jesus, the more convinced we are that this is the strongest foundation. This is the most rational decision we can make. Jesus is the sanest individual I've ever heard speak. And so we can proceed with confidence. He will give us all that we need to keep following. Again, I love that. You know, that revelation of the fish thing, that was awesome. That would have got Peter through for a season. But then there was the revelation of Jesus' healer, as I mentioned, and Jesus' deliverer, and Jesus, the one who conquers death, and ultimately the one who's been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Jesus is committed to keeping you following. And if we will say yes along the way and determine to take that next step, you won't struggle with your faith. You won't live a life that's like, where is God? You'll be continually seeing God at work in your life. This cycle doesn't just happen once and then it's over. Oh, I got through those four steps in the first five weeks of my Christianity. Now what? No, this will happen again and again and again and again. The challenge will be there. And so I don't know what your life's going to end up like, just in conclusion. But I can guarantee this, that in calling you to follow him, Jesus did not ask you to make a stupid decision. He's not calling you to something rash. If you have misinterpreted what you have read as I've got to leave my wife and my kids and my work and go to the place on earth that I know will be the most miserable for me, you're missing the point. That's not what Jesus is saying in saying follow him. The future that he has in mind for you is greater than anything that you could possibly dream of for yourself. You talk about living the dream. There are challenges in my life, but I, I never even dreamed of this. You know, my, my, I didn't even know what I wanted to do in high school. And, you know, through talking to some people, thought, you know, we, we ended up teaching, and that was awesome and great and everything. But, but that's not a patch on, on what I'm doing now and the relationships I have now. And who knows what's ahead? I've got no regrets. Jesus, I, I would take his choice for my life any day over my choices for my life based on my wisdom and my ability to foresee and predict things. Don't live a life of regret. When you're at that place, like I said, whether it's at the listening stage, whether it's that, I'm just going to give something and see what happens. Inconvenience myself a little bit by getting involved. Whether it's I can't get over, around, or under this, Jesus is telling me, like I know, like I know, that I've got to do something. Just do that. 
And then having all done all that, and as Jesus reveals himself, make that final call. Draw the line in the sand. Say, Jesus, from here on in, I'm going to follow you. It doesn't mean losing my marriage. It actually means gaining my marriage. It doesn't mean losing my future. It means gaining my future. You will have no regrets as we prioritise him in all things. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.